0: Good night.
1: Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining and show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone.
0: Good morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is holistic well-being expert and author Randy Reagan. Randy's author of a year of living mindfully, seasonal practices to nourish body, mind, and spirit. More than 50% of adult Americans suffer with adverse health effects due to stress. And excluding the trauma of, let's say, living in a war zone, most of our stress comes from the makings of our own mind, our perceptions of our experiences that arise out of daily living. Whether it's work stress, relationship stress, money stress, aging stress, or even vacation stress. We are all faced with the task of organizing our response to the stuff of our lives. Green living entrepreneur and well-being expert, Brandy Reagan, argues that real stress is not the actual event or situation, but our responses to it. She's founder of Green Bliss Echo Spa, L.A.'s only award-winning mobile spa and wellness service, and she's featured in Martha Stewart's home Whole Living Magazine, The Huffington Post, and Organic Spa Magazine. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Randy.
1: Good morning, Catherine. Thank you.
0: Well, the focus this morning, obviously, is we're going to be uh, talking about your new book, A Year of Living Mindfully, uh, Seasonal Practices to Nourish the Mind, the Body, and the Spirit, or the Body, Mind, and Spirit, as you say. Um, And, before Randy, before the show, we just chatted for a couple minutes, as you said, uh, people are really or consider themselves really stressed out now. They're doing a lot of different kinds of things, Uh, you know, whether we are a college student or it's a new job or a parent or, uh, you know, I think all this politics stuff is stressing me out. So where do we start? What do we do? How do we alleviate the stress in our lives? I mean, that's what you're talking about in your book, and there are many ways to avoid stress. Um, so, where do we begin?
1: Well, um, <laughs> um, I think the first place is to uh, disconnect a little bit from outside stimulus. Um, I think uh, I can feel my own blood pressure go up the more I pay attention to the news and to television and the more I stay constantly uh, plugged in, and I think we've all fallen trapped to the idea that the the more information that you take in, the better it's going to be, the more informed you are, the better it's going to be, and I think one of the first places that we can start is to get really picky, get really choosy about how we spend our media time, and take in stuff occasionally that is, you know, make sure that you're balancing all the hard news with softer news and stuff that makes you feel good. I mean, you know, truthfully, everybody knows what triggers their anxiety generally. And <clears throat> if you don't know, then the first place is just to s- start noticing your internal reactions to outside stimulus. Um, so so my, by so that Give us I mean, an
0: example. It, give us, well, you gave us an example of uh, yeah. all the stimuli, the, you know, what we read, what we hear, what we mm-hmm. listen to. Um, and I think I mentioned, you know, listening to all this political information causes stress. So you're saying, okay, in that case, you have to soften it with something that's a lot more, yes. that's calming, that's not so stressful. Um, but what else? I mean, you talk, you know, okay, that's one example. Give us other examples of the kinds of stress that sort of impinge upon us, that make us, that really cause us to become can cause us to become seriously ill, as you say in your book. I mean, stress is linked to heart disease, cancer, uh, accidents, suicide, all of the, you know, really devastating things that
1: can occur. So,
0: um,
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, even at its most minimal, I think, stress can cause you to feel less focused in your daily life. It can cause you to not get sleep proper sleep, it can cause you to it can affect your personal relationships. You can be snappy and crabby and irritable with the people you love. So it has real life effects from, you know, little things to big, giant things. And I think the more that people can become aware of how it all plays a part in your general well being, that's what holistic health means is you're making these day to day connections between how you feel, and the things that you do. And they're all related. So um, paying attention to how you eat, the the food that you choose to eat on a daily basis, the accumulative effects of it, not just one piece of chocolate cake every now and then or a glass of wine every now and then, but the accumulative effects of your diet play a huge role, and science is discovering this more and more as we go along, play a huge role in how your body responds to stress. There are definitely foods that you can eat that have an effect on how your brain processes stimulation, excitement, fear, anger, uh, and and foods that can actually release endorphins and serotonin in your body that can work to calm your mind, to make you feel more at ease. So that's a huge part of it. I know a lot of people engage in stress eating, where we reach for things in moments of high stress that we think might be of comfort to us but actually end up having um, a, a negative effect on us. So there's food, there's... Well, lemons. so you're saying
0: they're we weird. have to... Randy, so you're saying that we have to eat consciously, mm-hmm. eat consciously, yes. be aware of what we're eating. Yes. And you specifically talk about what those things we should avoid and the things that we should include. So maybe mm-hmm. just mention a couple yes. of those. Some of them, are obvi- you know, obvious. they are obvious, but they're mm-hmm. obvious, but it seems that many or most of us still are eating or drinking these foods that really are stressful. So, But let's make caffeine, for instance, you say is not a good thing.
1: Well, caffeine, too much of it because it overstimulates your adrenals, which are already on overdrive because of stress. The Adrenals are the little glands that are right above the kidneys and they help process and detoxify and you know, deal with your metabolism and they release hormones that can spike your mental state. Uh, when you've got a lot of caffeine surging through your body it can it can really deplete your functioning of your adrenals so um, you know a little bit is okay um, a lot probably not so great um, anything that spikes your blood sugar level so whether that's straight ahead sugar or hidden sugar things uh, you know sugars that are in alcohols or fruit juices or you know, it, uh, Pretty much almost anything that's processed is going to have hidden sugars, and a lot of sugar will spike your, you know, your blood sugar, and then you crash, and everybody knows what it feels like when you crash. You, you get cranky, you get irritable, and again, you, your mind and your emotions aren't able to sort through what's happening to you in a calm and rational fashion. So, so why is handles? it that when you
0: go to a, many workplaces, or, and really, and the, the space where people can go and gather and drink coffee and eat donuts and cookies and yeah. all of the things you're telling us not to do, and you here you are already in a stressful situation because you're in a work situation or it has the potential to be stressful, yeah. you're, like, compounding that. and, and, and Exactly. yes. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And, you know, salt increases hypertension that, you know, greasy, fatty foods, all of these things that (laughs) tend to be put in front of us when we least need it. So being conscious of how these things work on your body and taking little steps to have your own food. I mean, I, I travel and have with me little bags of nuts Nuts, fresh raw nuts are known to lower your blood pressure and to release energy in a sustained fashion so you don't spike and then crash. Um, Eating things like um, oatmeal in the morning is really great for uh, producing serotonin, which is good for the brain. Um, Sweet potatoes also boost your serotonin levels. Um, you know, blueberries support your immune system and help to lower blood pressure. So you can bring these little snack-type things with you. And uh, When you talk about boosting your serotonin
0: your levels, when you talk about boosting your serotonin levels, just to explain mm-hmm. that, you're talking about that helps to, what, level, balance out your moods?
1: Well, yes, yes. So it helps your moods to regulate. It's a hormone that works within your t- total body chemistry, and it helps to... Just keep your brain a little bit more relaxed and uh, you 've heard of endorphins those are the feel good chemicals that get released when you exercise when you 're in a in a loving situation with someone um, when you 're feeling calm and relaxed and uh, open hearted these are all you know chemical body reactions that help your mind to feel relaxed and open and and free and joyous and You know, everybody wants to feel like they have more energy and vitality and that they can meet the challenges of their day with an open mind and a calm mind. And I think it really does just start with how you feed your body from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed. So food is definitely key. Um, Other little things that, you know, that you can do throughout the day are you can learn how to breathe consciously, we think, oh gosh, I'm going to, you know, my body's going to know how to breathe no matter what I do. But, you know, breathing consciously means that you're really learning how to take in oxygen and work with oxygen levels. And when your brain is flooded with oxygen, again, it tends to relax and get calm. And when you're relaxed and calm physiologically, then you can make better decisions. Then you can strategize. Then you can, you know, move through tough situations with a sense of purpose and calm and rational thought. It kind of is a, it's, it's not a magical sort of experience that I'm talking. It's a very logical and progressive thing that can happen that does get results because yeah, I think often and this is changing
0: and it's changed over the past you know few years but meditation was associated with not western uh, not Western medicine or religion. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, mm-hmm. something out there that you know, sort of to the left of what we do every day. But that's not true. We really, and, and I'm hearing more and more from you and from doctors and uh, healthcare professionals that it's really critical to do this. This sort, of, I'm calling it mindful meditation, but living mindfully, as you say. Um, that it's, as you say, critical to our well-being. Another thing you mentioned in the book is guided imagery. Now, what mm-hmm. is that? Because that's also, you say, is, is helpful to help calm you down and cope with stress.
1: So it basically just means, um, giving yourself a few moments to, um, actively engage in what some people might call daydreaming or, um, wakeful dreaming where you are guided through usually a lot of of CDs or tapes, um, even some videos, can talk you through a scenario that is extremely beautiful and, and pleasant. It it can take you... You can imagine your own happy place, as they say. That's a very well-used phrase right now. Where, where's your happy place? Is it sitting on a beautiful rock in a, beside a beautiful lake next to an incredibly beautiful tree? And you can imagine... So you work through all the sensory explorations of what you feel when you're in a happy, beautiful, physical, geographically beautiful place. What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you feel? What do you taste? So in a way, you're distracting your stress mind to move into this really beautiful, calm place, and you're teaching your brain to slow down, to be present, and to take in these images that you're feeding it, these beautiful images. A lot of people work with sound So they don't necessarily hear or they don't necessarily see something beautiful to start with, but they start with a sound. And then the sound that they hear, whether it's wind chimes or bird chirping or ocean sounds of the waves breaking, can lead them into this place where they can visualize and see a calm place. And sometimes it just takes a minute or two minutes or three minutes. And then that really, then you can come back out of that. You've shifted, your awareness, you've shifted your perceptions, and your brain has also shifted out of that crunchy, stressful place and moved into a more free-flowing kind of space. And the more that you can train yourself to kind of use that as a habit to fall back on when you feel stressed, just like deep breathing or anything else that you might find that works for you, it becomes part of your daily life. It becomes a tool in your toolkit. And well, as a tool in your toolkit, and
0: I'm thinking about this and you're saying it's part of one's daily life, I'm, I'm visualizing, I guess you might say, really extremely stressful situations, and unfortunately, let's say I know too many people who find themselves, uh, you know, diagnosed, for, well, cancer is a good example, and get and mm-hmm. have to have chemotherapy, and so they're going for chemotherapy, you know, two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. This would be a, wouldn't, wouldn't this be something Incredible that one tool could. tool for them. Yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah, that, and do they do that? Do the hospitals or health, do they, yeah. are they, Yeah.
1: Doctors and, and, and healthcare providers are, are definitely linking um, the surge in the immune system that happens when you engage in mindful meditation or guided imagery. It, it has a very real measurable effect on your systems and your body chemistry, and it really does boost your immune system, and it gives you more power to fight what you're fighting. So if you're dealing with a serious illness like cancer and you're going through intense, horrible chemotherapy, this has proven to be an incredible tool. Um, If for nothing else, it just gets you through those sessions where you're sitting there in chemotherapy for an hour getting your drip, you know. Um, But it does boost the immune system, and it does have real measurable effects, which I think is fascinating because it just proves that there is a mind-body connection.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think... We've always known that, but for somehow we just haven't been able. To, uh, we ha- I don't. For whatever reason, I think it's just now that we'd be able to accept the fact that there is this mind-body connection, the whole gestalt, the whole body, it's all all connected. But one of the other things, because I'm thinking of these extremely as a social worker and dealing with lots of different groups of people who are under a lot of stress, another stress is like with the aging population, and you find people who are at home alone for long periods of time, particularly the elderly and the extreme elderly or the elderly elderly, and that's stressful. and that's frightening and depressing or can be. And if you use this kind of, um, you know, guided imagery, it would be helpful in that kind of a situation as well.
1: It would. I think it, it can help anybody. Um, I think because it helps, again, what you mentioned at the very top of our conversation, it helps your brain organize the stuff that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And the more that you can meet that stuff with calm focus... And optimism. I mean, I think a lot of everybody that you've just described under these stressful situations, from homebound elders to people going through cancer treatment to whatever your stress is, it is this idea of what is your situation right now and what, you know, how can you find hopefulness in that situation when it seems really bleak? And I think the way to see your way through to that optimism is to start with your physical self. What is your body experiencing right now? What is your, you know, what is what is going on with your internal systems? Are you, you know have you fed it properly? Is there sleep? Is there nutrition? And are there pleasant moments that you can grab onto that can help you through to feel hopeful?
0: Which is, uh, which is the opposite of uh, taking a, a Xanax or an antidepressant or medica- medically trying to soothe yourself, um, and, uh, I mean, which I think is a big issue. So this is really the, the opposite of that. I mean, it's a, a healthy way of dealing with stress, or at least as I see it. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, I think we've gotten a lot. I mean, there are definitely people who need um, medical intervention for depression, but I think we've gone a little bit overboard and, um, you know, we're medicating ourselves to the point where we're not feeling anything. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, you know, any way that I, I think that you can, that a person can find other, like we said, tools to put in your toolkit that are natural, that don't involve prescription drugs, um, is going to be a bonus. It's going to be a win. because You talk about laughter. It's you talk about laughter in yeah. the toolkit. We all have yeah. the uh, yeah. We,
0: we, we all can laugh. So how does that fit into the picture? Because you say laughter has great, uh, even short-term effects for just calming ourselves down. So how does that work?
1: Yeah. It, it, it again, it releases endorphins, the feel-good endorphins, and it increases your heart rate because you do feel a physical kind of rush when you when you laugh. So your heart rate goes up, you get flushed, you've got more oxygen mu- moving through your body, and it really does kind of sweep out the cobwebs uh, when you have a good belly laugh. I mean, there's a there was a very famous doctor named Norman Cousins who wrote about this, and um, back in the fifties and nineteen fifties and sixties, and one of his major prescriptions for dealing with everything from cancer to whatever was to laugh, and so he experimented by showing patients funny movies like Marx Brothers movies and stand-up comedians and, you know, that was part of his his prescription for them was like, you know, he would actually write it down on a prescription pad, you have to watch an hour's worth of comedy today, you know, and then he would monitor them and see what it did and it has an incredible effect. Um, you are physically moving stuff out of your body that is stagnant. You're moving good stuff in. You're increasing all these really great feel-good hormones. And your mind just sort of goes into a different place. You kind of begin to see the perspective changes and you think, okay, maybe it wasn't as dire as I thought, you know. You see the ridiculousness of our human journey sometimes just getting the silliness of it um, is really, really great, because I think as adults, we just get into these traps, like everything is so serious, you know, and um, they've done studies where small children laugh like no, no, 10 times more than adults, and that, you know, I think if we can get back to the point where we can really engage with our sense of humor and find things that are silly that we can laugh about, that's a really great prescription for finding our hopefulness and finding a new perspective. I think, unfortunately, as one ages, uh, we
0: laugh less and less. I mean, maybe some people would say yeah. we have less to laugh about, but we can. All have, but I don't think that's necessarily true. And you know, if you stay with people, let's say, as one ages, with with everybody in your own age group who are all older adults, it does. You can it. it you, you sort of feel the energy like. Depleted, You know, it like it, mm-hmm. you bring in a child or you bring in a young person into the mix and everything changes. And what you're talking about, things become more lighthearted and people laugh and um which obviously makes you feel good and calms you down. So uh, you know, I think um I mean that that that's really um important to do that. I think another point I wanted to make and I would like you to comment on is you know, our films and our movies really are not uh Genres that make us laugh—they actually do the opposite. They're depressing. They're violent. Um, how do you explain that? That doesn't seem to be helping our psyche or helping us to relieve our
1: stress. I don't know. I mean, I think our I think our entertainment and our art is a reflection of our age. I do. So what we're seeing reflected back to us is the general anxiety that we're all feeling. Um, And I think it's out there. You just have to look for it. You know, I mean, there's a whole treasure. The one good thing about the um, technology that we have now is that you can go back and look at every movie ever made practically, you know? So you, you look back on the time during the depression when it was really seriously nasty in this country. It was bad. You know, there were bread lines, people were losing their houses. It was awful. And my grandparents lived through it. And, you know, I heard them talk about it my whole life. And, um, You know, but what happened during the Depression is that uh, Hollywood made all of these incredible movies that were incredibly funny. You had the Marx Brothers that I referred to earlier. You had the Carol Lombard movies. You had all of these incredible, wonderful, beautiful, funny films, and people couldn't get enough of it. You know, they cost a dime, which back then was a, a lot of money, but people went to the movies, sometimes three or four during the day, and it was a real prescription for what they were going through. And they got these incredibly funny movies, and they used them in this purpose that we're discussing now. They use them as a way to ameliorate their you know their sadness and their grief over what was happening in their life. so those still exist they're still out there, like I said, any movie that you could possibly think of, you can look up on the internet and find and if they're not making them new these days then go back you know go back to a different era go back to the 60s and look at all the disney movies like the love bug and stuff like that or whatever suits your fancy there's tons of stuff out there and the classics are incredible and you really realize the artistry of what these people were going through during this very dire time in our in our nation's history so if it's not here now then look for it somewhere else because It's important, and I think you'll find as you start investigating this as a tool how valuable a tool it can really be.
0: That's a good point. I I think also I just want to reiterate the point you made in the beginning of that is that uh, we do have access. We have access, you're right, to... Any kind of enter all entertainment, you know, uh, whether mm-hmm. all, on our iPhones or uh, iPads or our computers, so we can always access that kind. It doesn't necessarily have to be films either. It can be stand-up comedians. It can be all you know right. on demand,
1: anytime right. we want to. Yeah. So uh, that's I think a real plus. you just plus. have to be pickier. You know, you have to be picky about what you want to let into your brain. Um, be discerning and be picky and um, have you know have a standard that you want to see in your, because you're feeding your brain. I mean, that is, you know, you're letting that stuff into your mind. So be very careful and be picky about it. And I I think there's, you know, there's tons and tons of stuff that everybody has access to. So if it's disappointing what's being made new, and I'm certainly disappointed about it, um, then I just reach back to to older stuff, you know. So you're saying uh,
0: be picky, be very, very picky about what you let into your brain. In other words, you really have to be, I, the word is mindful, right? What do you do? Get yes. up in the morning every day and say, look, I'm only going to allow so much whatever I have control over, stress in my life, uh, and I'm going to control that. And I have some yes. control. You can't control all of it. But, um, but you can c- control, as you say, how you respond to it. So you really do have to be, I guess the word, you're, you're, you know, mindful about it. Because I don't think that's that's a, that is the problem. We just let all this stuff in our lives that really shouldn't that we don't have to necessarily allow. Um, so no, do, do you get up every day and do that, or do you have a plan for the? How do you do that?
1: Well, I think you just start start to develop a standard for yourself. You become the gatekeeper for yourself, much the way that as a new parent. Um, if anybody out there listening has ever gone through <laughs> being a new parent, you're very protective of what you let your child be exposed to. Um, you're protective of what they eat. You're protective of the hours that they're able to sleep. You know, you shush everybody that comes in the house when they're taking a nap. You're very, very protective of that little child uh, because you just want them to be surrounded by things that will be good for them. So you can take that same kind of diligence with your own self. You are now the gatekeeper. You've always been the gatekeeper, but especially when you find yourself in really stressful, difficult situation, be very, very, very careful about The things that you let in, that you're paying attention to, the people that you're talking to, the conversations that you engage in. You know, I found myself when I'm really going through difficult times, I just don't let myself get sucked into conversations with people that are negative. You know, I politely back out of them and change the subject or I know the people that are not going to be that positive and I just try to not have them around me as often So you can do things like that. You can watch what you um, pay attention to in the media. You pay attention to your food choices. So you start these habits, and the more that you get used to them, the more you start to notice the effects, uh, the real-time effects, as it starts to take hold in your life, the more that you are going to be excited to do more of it. So it becomes an exponential thing, And it's very noticeable, I think, right away when you start making the choice, I'm going to protect myself and I'm going to, you know, choose to do things that are healthy and good for me in all ways, all ways. You can choose where you're going to drive your route to work. Are you going to drive down the industrial part of the city that's really gross to look at with lots of noise and pollution? Or are you going to take maybe five minutes longer and drive down a prettier street? Because that looks beautiful to you when you look out the window. You know, these are choices that you can make
0: we have to say goodbye and i i have to say this has been it's excellent excellent advice and i want to make sure that readers obviously there's a lot more to what you've said in your book a year of living mindfully um so randy we can go online you can buy it at bookstores everywhere but also i assume there's obviously a website and do you, you have a mm-hmm. blog as well
1: Yes, my, I write about stuff on a, on a weekly basis, so there's tips and inspiration for mindful living um, outside of what's in my book, and that's at randyreagan.com. Randy is R-A-N-D-I, Reagan is R-A-G-A-N, so randyreagan.com. Um, and, um, you know, the book is available online on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and um, hopefully it'll just engage readers and uh, some of your listeners to think more mindfully about their choices each day. Great. Thanks
0: so much. It was a real pleasure having you on. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. We are going to take a short break right now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. the internet's number one talk station number one talk station Voiceamerica.com. are
2: you or someone you know interested in attending college with both college tuition and college enrollment up 60 percent since 2002 there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process tune in to getting in a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, myth Reality and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein.
0: We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining me this morning is American University professor and author Chris Palmer. We're going to be talking about his new book, Now What, Grad? Uh, your Path to Success After College. Uh, for college students, graduation rewards their years of hard work with a degree that will set them on the path for future success. This day also marks a transition from campus to the unfamiliar workforce. So, American University Professor Chris Palmer uh, Palmer created Now What Grad to help recent grads answer questions like, what do I want out of a career and what qualities and skills do I have. He teaches grads how to organize a job search, how to ace job interviews, how to be an effective leader, and other lessons that are not typically taught in the college classroom, but can provide a leg up for soon to be graduates to achieve both professional and personal success. Um, As I said, he's a an author, also a public speaker, Um, and a wildlife film producer and founder of the Center for Environmental Filmmaking at American University School of Communication. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Chris. How are you?
2: I'm very well, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you.
0: Well, as I said, or as we said right before we started the show, uh, this is a good time to have you on because this May and June is Graduation, you know, across the country, high school, college, graduate school. So now we need your professional advice. What do you do? You graduate, uh, and we're not just talking about undergraduates, are we? It could be graduate students, exactly.
2: Uh, parents, yes. of
0: students, yeah. Yes.
2: Well, the, the, the my book is designed to to help um, people who are going through transition. So I've called it Now What Grad, and so it's for both undergrads who are, who are graduating from four years of college or, or two years of, of, of community college, and it's also uh, relevant to, obviously, grad students, people who are finishing their master's degrees or PhDs and, and begin to look for work. But it's also actually relevant, it's full of good advice about life in general. So anybody going through transition, even if they're 50s, would find the book. Um, very, very helpful, and it is a good time, as you point out, Catherine, for this book to come out because, because um, you know what I find is that kids are scared, students are scared. You know, they they are leaving college where they've been ensconced for for two or four years or six years, and they're very comfortable. They know what to do. They're told what to do. They go to class at these times. Suddenly they leave, and what you know, there's no structure, and and their friends are dispersed. It is such an anxious time for them.
0: What about, we're talking now, if we're talking about, let's say, college grads this spring, who are typically, let's say, 21, 22 years old, the millennials. Um, And as I understand it, though, the millennials, and I don't know if they have to prepare any differently than the previous generation, but they have a different expectation for the kind of job, how long they're going to stay at a job. I mean, obviously, it's all transition. So, but... uh, Does that affect the way in which they go after a job? You know, most millennials, as I understand it, don't stay at a job more than two years at a time, for instance. Well, that you know, yeah.
2: you're raising a very, very good point because um, in the old days, years ago, people used to leave college, join, like, say, a company, and, and maybe be there for 20, 30, 40 years. Sometimes they'll, they'll spend a, you know, a lifetime at IBM or something like that. That no longer happens. And, and life is much more entrepreneurial now. Even if you're a lawyer in the military, life is much more entrepreneurial. People don't follow straight paths. And people are likely now Excuse me, people are likely now to have in their lifetimes 10 or 15 different different jobs. I myself have, have gone through about six or seven different different careers and, and that's going to be much more typical now. So it just doesn't mean they have to prepare differently. What it means, Catherine, is that the content of what you're learning in college may not have a lot of relevance for long. Things we're learning now may become obsolescent in a few years' time. So that means that, that that puts much more emphasis on other personal skills that are going to be helpful as you move, as as you move, uh, as you move your career along.
0: So, for instance, you're a psych grad, or you, are you major in engineering, or it's, it's not so important necessarily. Obviously, you want to do well in school and do the best you can. Right. But you're saying there are more generalized skills which. Would- <clears throat> Apply to being successful, no matter what field you're in. Like, yes. what are those skills? Like, yes, you, yeah, yeah, that
2: is, that's exactly what I, what I'm saying, and and also what I, and I'll come to them specifically. But what I'm also saying is that colleges, universities, are not doing enough to prepare students for this. They're teaching them business, they're teaching them French, they're teaching them, uh, you know, uh, uh. uh Filmmaking. They're teaching them uh, a law, a law, uh, to be lawyers, and, and that, as you point out, that's important. We, only, we all need to work hard and do well in school, but it's not enough because nowadays people skills are so important. These so-called soft skills. These, these you know how to manage stress, um, how to find mentors. Um, How to do well when you meet people, how to look people in the eye, how to shake hands competently, you know, Uh, having good communication. Uh, skills, how to read social uh, cues and things like this. These, these, how to work in a, how to work in a team. You know, how to be reliable, how to be trustworthy. Um, all these, um, all these skills are soft skills, and we don't do enough at universities and colleges, places you know like where I teach. We don't do enough to help students prepare, uh, w- w- prepare for the real world with these, with these real life so-called soft. Or people's skills, so so we need to do more in that regard.
0: So how do we do that in college? I mean, you should well, be learning your whatever you are, if you whatever your major is. I mean, you're you know there are lots of courses requirements that you have to take. So should, is this something um, that should be an extra course, uh, or something that in addition a requirement for your for your for one's major?
2: Well, the quick answer is yes, and 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 there are. There's, I know, for example, um, Connecticut College does a good job on this, and and um, what they require is when students join as freshmen, even as early in the first year, they have to start thinking about their futures and thinking about um, who they um, who they could who they could have as mentors and 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 teaching them how to network and they and they arrange informational interviews with. People in their career areas, so these uh, you know, th- these are the type of things you don 't want to leave until your last six months of uh, when you 're a senior and you've got six months ago and you suddenly panic about finding a job. You really need to think early on in your career in college. Um, how are you going to get, you know, what are you going to do, where, where are you going to go, what, what does success mean, why are you at college? I mean, I think nowadays colleges and universities don't do enough to have students think more generally about their futures and what their mission in life is and what, where they're going and why they want to do what they want to do. Um, all this is left too late to, to face up to in the final year. We need to look at these issues earlier
0: on. Are they capable of doing that at age 21? (laughs) I mean, I know older students are, and often we end up doing that, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years later, people who go back to school or go change careers, then they begin to, uh, maybe then they've had some life experiences, and then they reflect on their lives, and they're more clear about what where they want to go or what direction, but is that possible for 21-year-olds? Because I, yeah.
2: Yeah, no, no. Good you know, Catherine, you're raising such an excellent uh, uh, point because some of them at age 21 are too immature um, to do that. But 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 the, here's the point: most of them can be inspired to do it with good with good uh, um, teachers, and and so universities should start off with the assumption that their freshmen are are interested in this sort of thing. They're interested in thinking about their future. They Interested in thinking about their mission in life, they're interested in these in debating about why they're at college, what they want to do in college, what's the best use of their time in college. Why are they are they really spending time on things that matter to them? These actually are issues which which young people, when they're given the opportunity, love to wrestle with. Why are they doing what they're doing? Well, are they even the are they in the right major? How do you pick a major? You know, all these are good. So I, I would, I, my attitude is we need to challenge millennials these young people to to write to, to 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 raise their game and and to think about and wrestle with these important fun foundational life issues at an earlier age
0: yeah because i think sometimes obviously they go to college because you have to go to college or you're not going to get a good job. That's pretty general. Or their parents have certain expectations that they are following, and they may not necessarily be their expectations, the students. But I think, you know, your book, I think, is divided, what, into five distinct parts. And right. the first part in, is, you know, reflect on your life. And I think right. that's a, that is a good point. And you're simply reflecting on it, and you're, I, I think that's true. Students don't even necessarily think about reflecting on their lives. They, no, you know, they
2: don't do it enough. Right.
0: So that's the first, and and we can and teachers, university teachers, um, uh, can help them to do that, or should be helping them to do that.
2: Absolutely, I mean, you know, what what tends to happen is that you know, you know, uh, professors at universities and colleges, a lot of them don't know a lot about teaching. This is not what they're good at. What they're good at is research and writing and getting books published. And so, a lot of them, they're, they're wonderful people, but a lot of them. Don't know a lot about teaching and, and 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 these and they're very good at you know their particular topics you know calculus or or writing or 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 filmmaking or or business or law or engineering they're you know they're, they're they're good at those particular subjects but these. More general topics about but but why are we living the life we're living and what does success mean what does fulfillment fulfillment mean what's the difference between success and fulfillment how do we be productive where do we find our vitality from how do we get energized um, all these sorts of more general questions are things that we don't spend enough time on and we need to spend time on when people leave. After four years of college, they should be well-rounded. They shouldn't be just good at French or good at business. They need to be. They need to be more knowledgeable about the world in general, about their own lives, what, where they're going, why they're doing what they're doing, and be able to think generally as well as having these. As I said these soft, soft skills that that are so important now to to. Um, to employers, they want they want people um, who are hardworking, who behave professionally, um, uh, who are reliable and trustworthy, and collaborative. You know, who can who have good communication skills. These are things that employers want more than anything anything else, um, and and they often find them lacking now in 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 their, in their workers.
0: Do you have any examples or stories, uh, you know, sort of illustrating what you're talking about? Like, because well, you're a professor, you're at the American University, you, r- you're, yeah, I and mean, you're in contact with students all the time.
2: Right, right, right. Well, I can just give you. I mean, uh, uh, I can give you one story from my from my um, own own life, and that is um, that when I was 20 or 21, um, I was completely adrift and 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 at a at a loss i didn't know what i was doing i was uh, i i was full of anger and and uh, uh and and and, and, and unhappy and confused. I was in the British Navy. Um, I'd completed my bachelor's degree. I was in a master's degree in engineering. I was all set to pursue um, a career designing and building warships and, and nuclear submarines for the British Royal Navy. And if you'd looked at me from outside, you'd think, well, look, he's doing well. He's got a job. He's doing fine. He's in the British Navy. But I was adrift, confused and unhappy. And I realized I needed a plan. And so what I did back then is I put together a personal mission statement in which I articulated what I wanted in my life. And what I found, Catherine. Was this was transformative, and by the way, in my book, now what grad your path success after college? The book we're talking about, um, I talk about how to do this and how important it is to articulate in writing your personal mission statement. Stephen Covey, the the the, the great philosopher and and and, um, and person, talked about this a lot in his books. Um, on uh, on on the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and 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 I, before that book came out, I had done this, and I found it, it transformative and very very useful. And it led me um, to uh, realize that I was in the wrong business that I that I actually um, should didn't want to be in engineering or in warship design. And it and it eventually this writing this personal mission statement, which now is five pages long. Um, mm-hmm. And, and um, it, it led me to a career in conservation, in in, uh, in environmental activism, in filmmaking, and eventually in teaching and writing. And by the way, anybody listening can email me Palmer P A L M E R Palmer at American dot edu, Palmer at American dot edu, and I will send them uh, my personal mission statement and send them some also some other information on how to lead a successful life. So that's one little story about I, how... So, uh, about when you write, so Chris, you write
0: it down. You did this personal mis- mission statement, which you say we should all do. I mean, when you write it down, it makes it real, too, yeah. uh, as you say, and it's kind of concrete, and, and there it is. But I assume that it sort of evolves. It sounds like what you... Your mission statement evolved as well. It changes. It, oh, uh, absolutely. Like
2: yeah. still now... Um, I'm now 68, and I'm still... Um, uh, changing it all, you know, I, I, it's, it's an organic document, as any personal mission statement should be, because we're changing it all the time. And so, I over the last forty years, I've constantly um, revised it, uh, honed it, uh, and juiced it up, constantly trying to make it. Into, so that when I read it every week, I plan my week around it. And when I read it, um, I, it inspires me. You know, and I say to myself as I read it, "Gosh, this is the life I want to lead." So it helps keep us on 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 track. I love the metaphor, Catherine, of 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 what a personal mission statement is when I, uh, as a control, as, a, as as your control panel. In other words, you know, take, take the metaphor of a plane. And when a plane takes off, going from, say, Dulles in Washington, D.C., to LAX, is it on track the whole time? No, it it, hits, it has to go around thunderheads. It, it, the pilot falls asleep and loses track of where he's going. It overshoots the airport. I mean, things go wrong all the time. This is what life is like. Things go wrong. We face setbacks and uphill battles. And and so in your in your plane, what you do? You go to the flight plan. You go to, and and that flight plan is the personal mission statement. And you correct course so you eventually do land in LAX on the right on the right um, path. And, On the right, in the right place, but on on that track from from Dallas to LAX, you're often off track, but you keep coming back to it. Well, if point. you don't
0: have a plan, you can't go off the track because <laughs> you need a plan. Right. And, you, you know, it, what you're saying you really coffee. resonates, I think, not just with college students, as you say, but this is applicable to, I just, this is applicable, I think, in general because I have, as a social worker, contact with so many people who, let's say, are retiring at age 65 and right. if they've had their job and their children and they've not right. necessarily had a terrible Please. life. They've had a right. good life. But I see many of them looking back and thinking, Did I really have a plan? I could have done such and such, but it's too late now. And if I had really done just as what you're describing, it would have made a real difference. You know? Yeah. 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 No,
2: absolutely. The, The 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 saddest thing I think, Catherine, is when people get to get older and they have regrets, regrets of things they didn't do, regrets of things they didn't try. And, and having a personal mission statement where you, are, where you articulate what your goals are in, in general and in, and, and, and in, your, in your physical, you know, in health, in, in emotion, in, in your spiritual life and in, and in your mental life, in your financial life, you lay out these and how you're going to get there. Um, and, and this means that when you get older... You don't look back and say, oh, my gosh, I wish I hadn't had that falling out with my mother. I wish I had apologized before she died. I wish I had told her I loved her. Because you, you, you wrestle with these things early on and don't let them creep up on you so that you regret them later on.
0: Yeah, excellent Advice for as we say, for whether you 're in college or school or whatever, or just just a general sort of life plan um, maybe, now let 's say for college students because they should be doing this or and right. um, what about you know the next step you say is uh, you know how to land a job and how to be, right. communication because I, I think that 's so important, and I yeah. think in my experience dealing with many younger people, they don 't communicate well, either verbally or written skills. And, oh, my
2: uh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Catherine, you are so right on that. And one of the problems is the amount of screen time. Um, uh, you know, kids are focused on their screens, their iPhones and all the rest of it. And so they are not used to. They are not accustomed to greeting people properly, going up to somebody, putting out their hand, looking in the eye, smiling, shaking hands, saying, Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm Chris Palmer. What is your name, please? And they're just not accustomed to, these, to the to social skills that, that, um, that when we were growing up, we were, we were, our parents taught us how to do that, you know, and, and, and so I would call on parents. To be much more, um, much more uh, alert to to this, because when someone goes for a first interview or a first job interview, they need to look the person in the eye. They need to smile. They need to shake hands firmly. They need to look confident and sit up straight and not slouch and to dress properly and dress appropriately and uh, not to have things on their facebook page which are embarrassing or or puerile and and parents need to help their kids through these through with these with these things so one of the again the one reason i wrote my book now what grad um, is to help you know help um, students with these with these issues so they're they're prepared but you're quite right to point out that that's that a lot of millennials now, and millennials are not uh, are not skilled in in these basic communication um, issues,
0: which I think has to be done all the time, not just you know when you go for your job interview and suddenly you're looking somebody in the eye or you're smiling. Right. You should be doing it. I don't mean you shouldn't be smiling all day long, right, but right, 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 really right. practice your social skills in all yeah. kinds of environments. And I yeah. always tell my kids, who are a different generation, obviously, yeah. and it's right. it's sort of like. I find I can be comfortable, because of my communication skills, I can be right. comfortable in any kind of a situation, right. mm-hmm. and it do- I'm not shy, it doesn't bother me, right. I can communicate, and right. so you want it to be able to generalize to whatever kind of social situation you're yeah. going to be in, exactly. and yeah, so that's really important, and something, that's something that can be done in college, it seems to me, there's... Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you know. and and
2: and 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 yeah, exactly right, and I think uh, professors and parents, both of them can also model this behavior for their kids you know when when- stu- kids may be um you know they they, they get often some of themselves from alienation and 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 but they're always looking and always observing, and if they see their parents even if they're annoyed with them, if they see their parents um you know. Uh, you know, using good social skills and 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 being polite and being thoughtful and and listening to other people and, and all these social skill all these skills um, they see them doing it and they themselves will 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 eventually um, copy it. So I would call on parents and professors um, to to model the behaviors uh, they want to see in their students and in their in their kids.
0: Yeah. So again, reiterating because we only have a couple of minutes left. But I mean, your book is not just for students; it's also, I mean, parents. This is a good guideline for parents as well. And we it really have an, is. Yeah, it really is. It
2: it, it really is. So so parents um, should should you know. It's a wonderful graduation year. have graduations coming up, and uh, in a few months. And um, and my book is called Now What? Grad, uh, published by Roman and Lelfield. Um It's a it's a it's full of sound information, wonderful information, inspiring information. Full of stories from students as well, so it's a great gift um, for y- young people. And when they and, and, and to build on your point, Catherine, when when they uh, buy it as a gift, they should borrow it themselves and read it.
0: Okay. And the, your a website that we can go to? I mean, obviously you can go to Amazon, a website for the book, but other websites, are, uh, and specifically in terms of what you're doing and your work?
2: Yeah, the, the, the best website for me is um, environmentalfilm.org, because I'm an environmental filmer. I make films about dolphins and bears and wolves and big IMAX films. And the website, and people would find that interesting too, the, the, and I've written other books in, that, in those areas that people would enjoy, but the website is environmentalfilm. Environmentalfilm.org. Yeah.
0: And is this a course that you teach at American University? Yes,
2: I do. I, yeah. teach, I teach filmmaking at American University. I also teach a, a course relevant to our discussion this morning, Catherine, called Design Your Life for Success. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, that's the course. Design your life for success. We're going to leave. That's a that's a good course to to leave the conversation on. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, it was great talking to oh, you. Oh, uh, it's to of, be
2: on your course. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for having me.
0: Chris Palmer. Now what, grad? Your path to success after college. Um, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you have been listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Um, have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday.
1: We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Katherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.